Hi, I'm Dr. Marsha, and this is the Self-Care Chronicle. As a licensed psychologist, I know that I need to practice good self-care to maintain my mental wellness. But maintaining my self-care routine can be a struggle when things get hectic. So I started reaching out to my peers to ask them about their experiences with self-care, and I learned that many of my fellow mental health professionals have similar experiences. Join me each week as I connect with a fellow mental health professional to discuss the challenges of managing our own mental wellness in the midst of a pandemic, social unrest, increasing demand for our services, and a struggle to embrace a me-first ideology, which sometimes feels wrong to a helping professional. Welcome to the Self-Care Chronicle. Welcome back. This week, I'm connecting with licensed clinical mental health clinician, Nicole Osborne. Nicole is a co-owner of Milk and Honey Therapy. Find out more about the great work Nicole and her organization are doing after the show at drmarshabrown.com. And welcome, Nicole Osborne. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me, Dr. Marsh. I'm excited to be here. My pleasure. My first question is always, what was your journey into your current position? And, and by that, I mean, why did you choose to become a mental health professional? And once you decided you were going to be a mental health professional, what was your journey like to serving the current population that you serve? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like I've been asked that multiple times in different ways. I guess I'll get, try and give the condensed version. I took AP Psych in high school and I fell in love with it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do. I just love learning about the mind and emotions, everything that goes into that. But also something that happened in high school was a close friend of mine, her brother passed away due to suicide. And so that was what really kind of like shook my world. And then Later on in high school, I also found out that one of my close, my, my close personal best friends growing up, she completed suicide. And so that was really hard just to see both those things happen just for me in high school. And so I knew I wanted to impact the world in some way. I've always defined myself as a helper. And so I've always loved helping people. And so I just thought after hearing about these two tragedies, I wanted to really make an impact and make sure people didn't feel alone. And so going forward from there, I majored in psychology and undergrad. And when I graduated, I had planned to do Teach for America. And then I decided, I don't think teaching's for me. I think I'd rather do something else. But funny enough, I ended up my first job at a college in a school, in a classroom. I was in a special education classroom, helping children who had intense emotional needs and difficulties. And so I realized that I love working with children and their emotional needs and mental health needs rather than their academic needs, which are important. But if your mental health and emotional well-being is not doing well, then it makes school even harder. I sat in on a school counseling classroom lesson with one of my kids and I sat on, on the school counseling lesson and I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I want to do. And so then I realized, all right, I need to go to grad school. I applied for school counseling, got into the program at UNCG and I was like, all right, I'm about to be a school counselor. And then advanced practicum came around and part of our advanced practicum was to be counselors in the on-campus clinic and help young adults through their mental health challenges and do therapy sessions. And I fell in love with that. And I was like, okay, so I want to pivot now. I don't think I want to be a school counselor anymore. I think I want to focus more on the clinical aspect. And I ended up graduating being 
technically a school counselor, but I had dual degrees so I could do clinical mental health as well. And so from then I graduated and after hearing stories from my husband, who's at LCSW, hearing his stories about how much he loved therapy and doing it with his clients, I was like, I want to do the same thing that you're doing. So fast forward to now, we started our private practice in September 2020 and here we are. I had a lot of experience working with children, teens and adults just throughout the lifespan, but I decided that my passion was teens and young adults. I just love just the fact that they're just trying to figure out life. They're at a pivotal moment in their life where there's so many different transitions and a lot going on trying to figure out who they are, what they're passionate about, and just navigating all of what life has to offer. And so I decided that was my passion, what I wanted to focus on, and that's what I've been doing ever since. That's great. That's a really interesting journey and story. Can you talk a little bit about what's the most stressful thing about your job? The most stressful thing... I think for me is like when I do reach capacity and I can't take on any more clients is turning people away. That's really hard for me. There was a moment when I first started to practice, I was working another job and so I could only see so many clients and I had to turn a lot of people away. And I was like, geez, man, like this, this hurts my heart that I can't see those clients. But now that I have a more open schedule, I can take on more clients. But along with that, another stressor is just not being able to offer sliding scale and reduce rates to everyone. I would love to, and my husband's probably going to be mad at me saying this, but I would love to give free therapy to anyone and everyone, but I know that's not financially possible for us right now. But yeah, I think that really hurts my heart and it makes it stressful for me knowing that I can't offer as many sliding scale and reduce rate sessions as I would want to, at least not at the moment. You said like turning people away, not being able to offer everything to everyone. Can you talk a little bit about, is there any part of just with your husband co-running a business, is there any part of that that's stressful? I would say, I guess the most stressful piece, not knowing like how to run a business initially. Like I didn't take any business classes. I kind of just learned everything like this past summer, just through various resources, whether that was Facebook. Facebook groups or YouTube videos, podcasts. And so really having to teach myself how to run a business was really challenging. It's still sometimes challenging. I run into stuff, but just the finance piece of it, and that ties into not being able to offer free and reduced therapy to everyone. So just learning how to balance finances and knowing what we can and can't do as far as offering the reduced rates. And so I think that's really the biggest challenge for me is like all the behind the scenes stuff that has that doesn't have to do with clients, but also does. So I would rather just be doing therapy all day rather than doing the behind the scenes finance stuff, which is not my cup of tea, but I'm like, I'm still learning. Right. Yeah. I, I ask because that's something that I've talked to a bunch of other people about. Just the fact that in graduate school, we weren't taught about running a private practice or building a practice and running your own business. We're taught how to be mental health professionals, but without mm-hmm. that aspect of it. And so that can be really stressful just saying, great, I want to have my own private practice, but wait a second, mm-hmm. I don't really know what that entails. Right. How do you do that? Right. So <laughs> exactly. yeah, I can understand that could be definitely very stressful. Can you talk a little bit about how your practice has changed since, I usually ask how it's changed since Mm COVID-19, but you opened your practice (laughs) in the middle of a raging pandemic. (laughs) So can you you talk a little bit about when you opened it, were there any things um, that you can think of that may have been different when you opened due to COVID that maybe, you know, if COVID hadn't been around, you might've been able to do differently, anything like that? 
Yeah, yeah, you're right. We definitely opened in the middle of the pandemic, which just a blessing on our end because it allowed, since I had just graduated, I had more free time and I was still working at my other job that I was working at. And so I had that those finances coming in to be able to support like investing in the practice and everything. And so I think the biggest things for us, we were like, okay, we don't have an office space. We can't afford an office space at the moment. So we're just going to have to do strictly virtual. But then we were both like, dang, we really like meeting with clients in person. How can we make that happen in a safe way? And so what we came up with and after doing research was let's offer sessions outside, which was something that we hadn't seen or nothing that we saw in, in the Greensboro area. And so we're like, all right, let's, we love walking and talking. We go on walks on a consistent basis. I don't know how many miles we walked this during the last summer. We walked tons of miles. And so we're like, all right, we want to simulate that same thing for our clients. And so we're like, okay, let's offer outdoor services. And so we decided let's do virtual services, walk and talk if clients feel comfortable. And then let's also offer my husband does outdoor play therapy and just being able to pivot and be more creative and people are you know, latching onto it. They're like, I've never heard of walk and talk. What even is that? And so just being able to offer a new and different option and something that's not really offered in the area that we that we live in. Yeah, that's great. What a way to make lemonade in terms of having the situation where it's just kind of like, all right, well, how do we do this? So it's a really great way to shift. And did you yeah. find specifically with your virtual services, was there any adjustment for you at all treating people with a screen between the two of you versus being face to face? Right. Yeah, that's a good question. I had a little bit of experience of doing virtual when the when the school got shut down. What was it? February, March. And so the job that I was working at, I was a grad assistant for counseling. And so I had to transition to seeing my students that I was used to seeing on a weekly basis. I had to see them virtually. So I had a small taste of it. And so with pivoting to the practice, it was a larger taste of what it's really like to offer services virtually. And I wish I could see clients in person, but obviously I know that not everyone feels comfortable with that, but I just love the energy that you can feel from the clients. Um, I love noticing body language. And so having to do that a little bit differently online is sometimes challenging, but I'm getting used to it now being able to pick up on clients' energy. But I think it's just hard when I see some of my clients cry and I'm like, I wish I could just, I wouldn't hug my clients in session anyways, but just give them that energy that like, I'm here for you. I care for you. Like you're not alone. Give them that energy that I have. But just knowing that being present with someone, whether that's virtually or in person, it's still the same kind of support. And so having confidence, knowing that you're still there for this person, whether that's next to them, across from them, like through the screen, like it's still going to be beneficial regardless. That's a great way to think about it. Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about how you practice self-care? So what -hmm. self-care is for you, what your go-to methods are, things like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mentioned it earlier. My husband and I love going on walks. And so walking is probably my number one self-care strategy. I just love being in the sun. There's something about the sun. Obviously, I know there's scientific facts about the sun, but just being in the sun really does it for me. I just love feeling the heat on my face and my body. Being outdoors is just, it's amazing. And living in North Carolina, there's so much nature to explore. And so living not too far from different trails and parks has been a great way to just get outside and just be a stress reliever 
through. Even the other day, there's a trail by our office space. And I just was like, it's nice outside. Let me just go outside in between sessions and just go on a walk. And so walking is big for me. I'm a workout fanatic. So I love working out from boxing to yoga to hit classes and then cycling classes, Pilates, stretching, foam rolling, all of that stuff. I grew up as a former athlete and dancer. And so just any kind of movement, body-based self-care is for me. But I would also say that it's a tie between walks and napping because I love naps so much. Like anyone who knows me growing up, I could nap for days. Like I think my minimum nap time used to be like four hours and people would laugh at me. They'd be like, Nicole, why do you sleep so much? I'm like, because I'm tired. Why can't I sleep? And so even to this day, people make fun of me. They're like, oh, did you just wake up from a nap? I'm like, haha, funny. I'm getting my rest in. And so I feel like I was ahead of this whole like rest and nap movement before it became trendy and before it became a thing. <laughs> yes, you were ahead of the nap curve. That's awesome. Yeah. And that is exactly what people are learning now is how important sleep is and how it really rejuvenates us. It heals our brain, it rests our brain. Every part of us, every function really relies on us yeah. being able to get adequate rest. So that's really awesome. I'm a terrible sleeper. So I need some of that. I'm actually good with like power naps, 20 minutes, mm -hmm. 30 minutes, and I'm, you know, good for a couple hours, but I would yeah. love that just being able to nap when I need to. So that's really awesome. I think you talked a little bit about how it's any like exercise for you, moving your body, napping, all that stuff. And I really believe that self-care and boundaries go hand in hand, mm -hmm. especially for those of us who, who do this work that's so, you know, emotionally draining. Yeah. And so I was just wondering for you, was there ever a time when you realized you were putting your work and or your clients ahead of your own mental and or physical health and kind of what that was like for you and what was your aha moment saying, no, I, I can't keep doing this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Before the practice, even when we're in the kind of like planning stages of the practice, I would be doing it all day, all hours of the night. And I was like, girl, you need to calm down. Just take it easy. The work will get done. But even as that, as we did open the practice, when I was spending so many hours on it, just because I was excited, I was like, oh my gosh, this is our baby. This is beautiful. But just working like super late, even though I'm a night owl, um, I'm not a morning person. I do work better at night, but realizing when it becomes too late and it's too much really impacts me and then also even when I did start seeing clients and and when I see them now I try to cut off work whether that's managing the finances or social media or emails or communicating with clients I try to cut that off at certain times at night because I know I can go all hours of the night just because I'm excited about it and I just love it so much but also for me just realizing I need to eat like I need to eat breakfast in the morning I'm not a big breakfast person so trying to get something on my body in the morning um, and also making sure to eat lunch I have a tendency to probably like most clinicians forget to eat lunch you just become so busy and realizing like why at the end of the day like why am I so exhausted oh I haven't even eaten lunch today that's why and then first starting out realizing I can't schedule clients during my lunch hours or during my outside of typical office hours like that I started to do that because I was like oh I just want to be able to accommodate people and then I realized no nah, that's not going to work I have to set boundaries with my work schedule so now I see clients from 11 to 2 and then I have a two-hour lunch break and I see clients again from 4 to 6 
seven. And during my lunch break, really me practicing like not doing work on my lunch break. Uh, sometimes I might have things here and there, but I had to get into the habit of, okay, you need to eat. You need to either like just chill and watch a TV show or listen to a podcast, or you can take a nap. I've been taking naps recently, like I said earlier, and during my lunch break. So really just cutting off and tuning off outside of seeing clients, knowing that enough is enough, you need to rest. And so if I don't do that, I know I'm no good for myself and not any good for my clients either if I'm not taking care of myself. And I think that's a good point. I think that's a realization that a lot of us had to make was not just, not just I'm doing, you know, myself harm, but I can't be as available and as effective with the people that I'm trying to help if I'm not first taking that time to take care of myself and eating lunch and not working through and working from day until night without much of a break. Yeah. Definitely. Can you talk a little bit about 2020 was a pretty um, <laughs> interesting year, we'll say. It was pretty bad, I think, for just right. so many people. And then so far, 2021 hasn't been fantastic either in terms of everything that's going on. The, we had the pro- pandemic, we had protests, we had the terrorist attack mm-hmm. at the Capitol. Mm-hmm. And so can you talk a little bit about the impact of all those things in 2021 on your own mental health as a Black mental health professional. How has it impacted or changed your perspective on self-care, the importance of self-care and the importance of taking an inventory of your own mental health? Yeah, it's it's the first word. And anytime I get asked this question or when I think about it, it's just it's exhausting. Like being Black and being a Black woman and being a Black mental health professional, both kind of both of those identities being Black and then also being a Black mental health professional is exhausting. It's exhausting sometimes being Black and knowing that there's people out there who just despise me. There's people out there who don't want to see me successful. There's people out there who are really fighting hard not to allow me to have rights or don't think I deserve life. At this point, that's what it is. There's people out there who think I don't deserve to live. I'm just constantly thinking about that's immediately what people think about um, as soon as they see me. I can't hide my blackness. It's right in front of your face. And so just having that identity, it's can be hard sometimes in navigating certain spaces and white spaces. I went to a predominantly white school growing up. And so I learned from an early age how to navigate those spaces. And sometimes it could be really challenging being the only one in those spaces. And from that perspective, it's hard. But regardless, I still love being Black. I still love being me. Um, I wouldn't change it for the world. But then on the other hand, being a mental health professional and seeing clients who look like me, seeing clients who are really impacted by what's going on in this world and their identities that they have, it's hard being a mental health professional from that sense. And so combining those two things, being Black and then being a mental health professional, it can be really tiring for me. That's my personal experience. But at the same time, I'm motivated to really make an impact to really see change. And hence why I'm just passionate about low income communities and communities of color, because I know there's so many systems in place that are against them and make it hard for them to be successful and hard to be mentally well and hard to just be alive. And so I, at the same time, I also have to realize I I can't do everything. And I said this to someone the other day, I was like, I feel this burden, like maybe so many other Black people do this burden to want to change the world, to want to make a difference. And at the same time, recognizing like, it's not all in my hands, and it shouldn't be all in my hands and taking that burden off and be like, I can only do what I can do. And I can do what I can do to my best ability and not comparing my social justice approach and racial justice approach to other people. Because even 
even for me personally, being going to be pretty transparent. Like sometimes I go online and I see all these other black mental health professionals doing all these different things. And I'm like questioning to myself, am I doing enough? Is my work important enough? Like, why doesn't my work look like them? And I'm like, no, Nicole, like you just have a different approach and that's okay. And valuing that my approach is still effective and that I'm still impacting people. Yeah. As far as like self-care goes, I'm trying to incorporate just more rest and more just like it's okay to take a break just from everything that's going on. Like it it can be really tiring and it's easy to get sucked into the constant news cycles and social media posts and everything. Sometimes you just have to disconnect. And the people who, you know, for very blunt, but for people who hate Black people, they want to see Black people get tired and give up. They want to see them just be like throwing the towel and just go, oh, this change isn't going to happen. It's happening too slowly or X, Y, and Z. And so for me, rest is really important. And that's a message that I think needs to get communicated a little bit more. It's just, and I think it is that rest is so key during this movement and during this time of change and also taking off the burden that you have to do it yourself. It's going to be a collective movement and it's going to take everyone, regardless of what your skin color is, it's going to take everyone to really make this huge change that needs to be that needs to be done. Yeah, that's excellent. And I think that's so spot on and, and very important for those things to think about. And I was wondering when we were talking about just sometimes it's important to just disconnect turn off mm-hmm. and just stop with the inundation of the news cycle, everything mm-hmm. that's constantly going on. And so I'm just wondering, as mental health professionals, we take on a little bit of what our clients are going through, right? We're absorbing that mm-hmm. when we're talking to them, they're telling us their fears and their you know anxieties and their what's going on in their world. And you talked a little bit about serving the community. You're passionate about serving, especially low-income communities and communities of color. And so I would imagine that throughout this whole thing, you've met with a lot of clients who had all these fears and had all these anxieties about things like walking down the street or driving their Mm -hmm. car somewhere or being in a grocery store, whatever the case may have been. And as mental health professionals, a lot of times we're told, leave all those Mm -hmm. things at the office. You don't bring it home with you. So just disconnect from it. But as Mm -hmm. a Black mental health professional, knowing that we're part of Mm -hmm. these communities, we look like the people that we're seeing being murdered in the streets. You can't really disconnect from that because it it right. is us it it is you it's something that you can't just leave at the door so can you talk a little bit about how you're able to i know you mentioned like disconnecting from it but how are you able to function and not leave the building just completely right. overburdened or overwhelmed by the severity of everything that's going on and the just insanity of everything that's going on yeah yeah that's a good question i yeah, it is hard. It's hard to disconnect when it's a reality for me and reality for my family and other people who look like me. I think the biggest thing is just recognizing, I think just for me, just recognize that my work is enough. At the end of the day, this isn't my responsibility because I wasn't the one who created the problem. It was different people for to be blunt again. It was white people who started this problem. And so, yes, I do have responsibility in helping to change it, but ultimately it's on them to really want to be the ones who want to change and who need to know that life can't continue this way. And so just for me, just like I said earlier, disconnecting from social media, knowing when I've had enough, I have a love-hate relationship with social media anyways, just because I know just the impacts that it has on people, especially the clients I work with, teens and young adults, prime population. They grew up with social media. I grew up with social media too, but not to the extent that they have. And they're constantly being exposed to it on a daily, hourly basis. And so for me, just knowing when I've had 
enough intake of that stuff and knowing that I'm also allowed to experience joy during this time. I think that's something that I forgot, especially um, back in the summer when all the murders and killings were happening. I forgot that I was allowed to be happy. And even in the midst of all of this craziness, even though I was hurting, even though I was sad, even though I was angry, I still could be, still could enjoy life and be happy. I think that's something that I just lost sight of. I thought I had to be sad all the time. I thought I had to be hold this anger all the time, but learning to transform those, like, yes, sitting in those emotions and validating myself, but also transforming those emotions into being able to experience joy. And so telling myself, Nicole, you've done your work for today. You saw your clients, you helped them through whatever issues it was, you supported them, and now go have fun. Now go be happy, go experience Black joy, all that stuff. So not forgetting that, not losing sight, the joy, even in the work that I'm doing. I'm so happy to be in this work. This is my dream job, and I didn't expect it to come so soon after grad school. And so I'm just really grateful that I'm able to do the work that I've desired desired to do for such a long time. That's really amazing. And and it's great that you have your dream job. I think it's it's definitely a privilege to be able to love what you do and feel like you're making a difference and feel like every day you're doing what you need to do to help others to help the world move forward. Can you talk a little bit about the most challenging part of self-care for you in terms of making sure that you get it in and it doesn't fall by the wayside? Yeah. The most challenging part, I would say, is being intentional about it and not defaulting to, like, let me just sit on my phone and scroll all day. Like, to me, that's not self-care. It is to a certain extent, but for me, I know that's not always the best. And so just really being intentional about doing the other types of self-care that I like and also getting better at boundaries, I still do struggle from time to time. But when it comes to the challenges of not compromising, we're not compromising all the time my boundaries because I am a helper and I love to help everyone everyone knowing when I need to say no and knowing for myself, like if a friend or family member wants to talk or call me or whatever it might be, or want to catch up or hang out, just knowing when is the best time for me to do that. I know I will never, <laughs> I'll never hang out with somebody at eight o'clock in the morning. I'm not a morning person. I get up at nine, 10 o'clock. That's important for me. That's just my self-care. That's how I operate. Everyone operates differently, but just being intentional about when I hang out with people or talk to people and whether I want to do that at the end of my day or maybe like an hour before I see clients or since I don't see clients right now on Fridays, like if I plan most of my stuff on either Fridays or Sundays. Sundays are usually my days when I catch up with people and knowing that like self-care can change. I don't have to do the same self-care all the time. So spicing up and mixing up my self-care. So I, I might want to try some new stuff. I know one of my self-care practices is traveling. I know I can't do a lot of that right now with COVID going on, but as soon as it's clear and safe to go, I will be jet setting somewhere. I love traveling, so hoping to be able to incorporate that back into my self-care practices when this is all over. That's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about your practice? And then also, can you tell people how they can get in touch with you? So as far as my practice goes, it's called Milk and Honey Therapy. And you can learn more on our website. But basically, we offer virtual services. We offer in-office services. We offer walk and talk therapy, which, like I said earlier, is therapy in the park. If my clients are interested. We meet at one of um, the parks here in Greensboro and we walk 
a trail and it's 50 minutes, kind of just feeling like you're walking and talking with a friend. That's what my husband and I wanted to simulate. And then my husband offers outdoor play therapy. And I know it's a little cold outside, so he doesn't see as many clients outside for outdoor play therapy, but that's something we still offer. And I also still walk outside, even though it's 30 degrees outside. Still something I do. But we see children, teens, and young adults. And we mostly work with children, teens, and young adults who struggle with anxiety, depression, low self-esteem, anger issues, academic career concerns, childhood trauma, identity development. So asking the question, like, who am I? Oftentimes, if we do experience traumatic events or go through certain things in life, we lose sight of who we are. So helping clients figure out that. Yeah, those are the main things uh, that we offer at our practice. And the best way to get in touch with me is on my website. So www milkandhoneytherapy.com and you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, LinkedIn, same thing at Milk and Honey Therapy and that's how you can find me. Excellent. Thank you again so much for being here. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to previous episodes of the show, but what I like to do at the the very end is something I call the finisher. It's a last question that has nothing to do with psychology or <laughs> self-care, but it's fun for me, I will say. Yeah. So sometimes it's a hypothetical, but for you, because you mentioned this earlier, it piqued my curiosity. Can mm-hmm. you tell me what are the top three destinations on your travel bucket list? Oh man, this is tough. I want to go everywhere. I would say (laughs) Tahiti is one of them. Hawaii is another one. And then somewhere in Europe. I don't know where. I've been to Europe before, but honestly, anywhere in Europe, like I'm just, I'm down for wherever. I I like road tripping too. So a good road trip works for me. I think those are my top three. Yeah. Nice. Those are awesome places. Okay. Fantastic. Well, thank you for indulging my finisher question. Um, (laughs) uh, And thank you again for being here. Thank you, Dr. Marsh. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me for the Self-Care Chronicle. If you enjoyed today's show, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Also, be sure to subscribe to the Self-Care Chronicle on your favorite podcast platform. To find out more about today's episode or to listen to additional episodes, visit drmarshabrown.com. See you next time.